0: I think that art in the broadest terms is an expression and it can be an expression of anything. And as long as there's someone expressing it, who views it as art, that's all that matters. And it's, it's an expression of something that's meaningful, hopefully, to the artist creating it Um, it uh, may have meaning to others Um, it may have multiple meanings most things have multiple meanings and uh, the art itself takes on a life of its own that uh, regardless of what the artist intended um, it will continue to resonate and uh even contradict whatever the artist intended.
1: This is the minor Arts Podcast, mapped the arts in small town America with your host Justin and Chandel. And we have with us today uh, another young musician in our community. I mentioned in the last episode that I was excited to have a pair of episodes featuring our young musicians. Uh, The current one at the mic today is a performer in a couple different bands. Musician long held in family tradition. I'm sure we'll get into that later as well. Uh, We welcome to the mic Eric Michael Anderson. As opposed to Jack Eric Anderson. We have to make that distinction, right? Indeed. Yeah, that's yep. a, well, welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here.
2: Can you uh, maybe start us out with telling us a little bit about your background in the arts and music and how that has shaped your personal journey?
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, as uh, many who may listen to this know... Um, my family. Uh, there's a lot of music in our background. Um, uh, my parents both are uh, professional musicians with doctorates, teach at the college here in Minot, um, and from birth and even before. <laughs> uh, I mean, when when I was still uh, just. It, when my mom was still pregnant with me she was working on a piano concerto and and i'm sure that i picked up the resonances from that but that's all to say like um it's always been something in my background even if i wasn't paying much attention to it at times um you know as a as a little kid um but i was constantly being exposed to live performances my parents practicing music, um, hearing recordings, you know, CD player at home. And, um, from there, um, I started piano when I was three, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, eventually I, I picked up the cello for a while. I picked up the saxophone and eventually through, um, High school saxophone became my main instrument. Um, also, I've done a lot of singing, and um, I got a vocal degree from Minot State. Um, it's kind of a hybrid thing because I did a lot of a lot of singing, but a lot of um, a lot of saxophone playing, a lot of jazz, a lot of composition, and so it's. Uh, yeah, um, college and all of that was a huge development for me musically. And um, since then, um, I've taken composition very seriously, songwriting. Um, uh, like you mentioned, I play in a couple of bands here in Minot. um Miles Barkum and the Sweet Dreams, as well as uh, a group called The Brothers. Um, and uh, then I I do some solo performances. Um, I do some stuff at the college. Um, and um, writing all sorts of music. So that's me
1: in a nutshell. You in a nutshell? So you're saying your first composition was in utero? May have been. May have been. That makes a certain amount of sense. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you always know that you were interested in music like i always wonder Mm -hmm. like when you grow up in an environment that's just steeped in it like you know like is it as prevalent as you know outsiders would think or is it you know did you know that you wanted to pursue that or did you have
0: those moments where no i am not going to be like my parents (laughs) i am not going to do this i would say for me for a long part of my growing up i did not even give it a thought of i could be a musician didn't even cross my mind. Um, I I enjoyed music. Um, it wasn't until I was in my teenage years that I started getting more into, like, actively listening to music and seriously working at playing music and even practicing it. And um, uh, then what really tipped the scale when I decided I knew that I wanted to do it um, seriously was um, when I started taking saxophone lessons. And, um, yeah, private lessons just pushed me so much farther than I could have gone uh, without and got me to be interested in taking it as far as I can.
2: Do you have a favorite style? Cause I know that like what you do with the brothers and what you do with your solo stuff is pretty different. And what different. you do with the sweet dreams mm-hmm. yeah. too. Everything. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite or do you just mm-hmm. like playing with all of it?
0: I'd say I like to play with a lot of things and I go through phases, um, where I favor one thing over another style wise. Um, sometimes I'm just like hip hop. That's, all I'm listening to, or I'm getting into Led Zeppelin, or um, some, uh, what have I been listening to lately? Um, a lot of Radiohead. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, I've also been exploring um, Beyonce, which I. <laughs> okay. Which Radiohead I, and Beyonce. Yeah. Okay. I well, wasn't expecting I, that. No. Yeah. You know, I wasn't expecting it either until. <laughs> <laughs> Un- until I started reading some stuff on her and um, her, like, quote-unquote, revenge album for Jay-Z cheating, um, Lemonade. If you haven't checked it out, highly recommend it. it. Okay. It truly, like, was one of the best albums of the 2010s. Okay. I, I can definitively stay that. Okay. So. I, I guess I have not paid <laughs> enough attention to Beyonce. Yeah. So. No, she's, she's more than just a pop singer. Sure. Um, so, uh, she's worth checking out. Um, yeah, uh, but style wise, I mean, uh, also huge portion of, uh, listening to classical music and taking stuff away from that. Um, I'm currently working on a composition project for piano and voice that, um, is using some poetry from a local, um poet and um that's uh been i've been taking a lot of inspiration from from classical people for that
1: okay i'm gonna follow up with this just because Mm -hmm. i'm
0: curious now because
1: i didn't think about it before Chandel (laughs) actually brought it up but yeah so you're doing you know largely popular covers with miles Barcombe. And, yeah. you know, some, some mm-hmm. original work in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing a lot of kind of funk, blues, rock things with the brothers. Um, you also have classical compositions mm-hmm. uh, that you've done very successfully. And you're you're very good at each of these areas. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get confused? Or maybe confused isn't the right word. So, well, two questions. Do you ever get confused and do you ever... Three questions. Do you ever get confused? Do you ever accidentally blend? And do you ever purposely blend?
0: Mm, like, like blending does, styles? Does
1: funk mm-hmm. meld into your classical composition, for example, oh. or mm-hmm. you know, some of those areas? Like mm-hmm. how how do you keep them straight or mm-hmm. how do you allow them to yeah. play together?
0: Well, um the best answer I could give to that is that they're constantly, um, mixing, um, and there's constantly ways in which I'm just taking ideas that, that could be, you know, kind of in this sphere off to the left, or it could be in this sphere off to the right, as far as styles, um, and a, a very good example of how that uh, has come up lately for me is um, my electric cello concerto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a concerto for full orchestra plus an electric cello soloist, and um, for that, um, I was taking a very large amount of. Uh, a wide array of inspirations, including Leonard Bernstein, Igor Stravinsky, Led Zeppelin, um, uh, Jimmy Page, uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, all sorts of like heavy metal music. And uh, so there's the first movement is kind of has a blues section in it. The second movement is... Um, Sort of starts out in this like house music style and then goes into a um like hip hop jazz type thing, and then the third movement kind of gets into like heavy metal and um, some of that Stravinsky type like dense harmony and um I left the notion
1: of Stravinsky as heavy metal
0: yeah well <laughs> he if you if you listen to enough of it, you know that like Back in 1914, oh, yeah, that, was, he was, that was heavy metal. He was metal. Metal as hell. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, the concerto is definitely a great example of me taking a lot of my various inspirations all in one piece. Labeling things into different styles, I mean, it is important and it's essential to communicate, but it's also problematic, and it... Um, Sometimes gets in the way of just making music mm-hmm. um and letting it just be music and someone else can figure out what what style it is uh, sometimes
1: the best music is the music that you don't know what category you're supposed to look for when you're looking for yeah. Well, <laughs> <like> <laughs> oh yeah if
2: you if you're blending so many things it's it's you're probably more of an active listener um, because you're th- th- things are happening that you're not expecting. Um, mm-hmm. Are you intentionally trying to say that with your music? Do you think, or do you think that's just uh, part of the way you feel through the process? Like, mm-hmm. is it intuitive for you to blend all of those different styles or is it something that you're trying to say with your work? Like these things aren't as separate as we might think they are.
0: I guess that could be a semi-unintentional statement that I agree with. Um, Like, (laughs) yeah, uh, that could be a message behind my music. Um, But at the same time, sometimes that is something I'm very intentionally thinking of. Um, And I do feel like an advocate for getting beyond... um, uh, very, like, strict categorizations of things. And, I mean, for for any audiophiles or musicians who are, you know, know their stuff, they know how superficial some of these labels can be. And, you know, like, if you look at country music, well, really from any era, but, you know, what defines Country versus pop versus hip hop today, very little, just a little twang in mm-hmm. the sound yeah. and, and uh, a low singing voice. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I missed my
1: mark as a country music star. Mm-hmm. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I have no twang, just the low.
0: <laughs> There's hope for you yet. <laughs> Never too late. Never too late.
1: All right. So with all these things that you do, uh, obviously you're doing them in Minot, North Dakota. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about doing this work in a rural environment, how that has affected you? Obviously you're doing some things that are or would probably stereotypically be considered as very unique for rural America Mm. um how has that helped or challenged you what has that process been looked like for you and how Mm -hmm. does it pull together Mm.
0: (laughs) yeah well I think one of my strengths is um in my diversity of the mediums in which I put my time into musically you know i have my my bar band that um plays a lot of hits um some rock and roll type energy um pays pretty well um per night um there's the brothers project that is um you know i've put a lot of like my personal like deep heart feeling of like this is the kind of music I want to be doing. Um, and, you know, I'm writing songs for this. I'm thinking about all sorts of details that I'm not worrying about with Miles' band um, uh, because that's that's his thing for one and for two, you know, with playing covers and playing live all the time for a crowd that wants to hear a certain thing. Sure. will we'll be happier hearing a certain thing you know, um, I'm happier letting that be just kind of speaks for itself. Whereas, um, with, with the brothers, um, definitely putting a little bit more personal touch into it, um, uh, it, more experimental as well. Um, and, you know, the classical side, um, it, it wouldn't happen nearly as, as much probably if I didn't have um, uh, the peers that I do from Minot State University, Um, my parents being part of that and some great teachers that I've had over there and um, fellow students, um, up-and-coming students, um, and all of that helps inspire me um, and also gives me people who I want to interact with and and make that art with. Um, you know this um, piano voice project I mentioned. Um, my mom is commissioning me on that and um, it's written it's being written for my brother Curtis who's in Wisconsin and um, uh, it's using poetry on he is a fantastic or he has a um, fascination with mycelium and mushrooms, okay. that type of stuff. So his friend, Maya Tiemensen, um, wrote some poetry on mycelium, and I'm using that. So that, that's all coming together because of people in this community that we, we know each other and want to work together. And it all, like, to make it work out here is... To kind of play in in all those different um, areas and um, get what I can out of it.
1: Cool. So you've you've brought up the um, concerto for electric bass and cello. Cello. Sorry. <laughs> um, I know you you've taken that in a bit of a tour. Um, yes. So this is this is also something that kind of lends itself well on that rural arena and how mm-hmm. you're able to do that. Can you talk about that tour and what you've seen uh, coming through with it and how that's gone for mm-hmm. you? Yeah.
0: Um, so we went down, we've been visiting Bismarck um, several times over the winter. Um, my dad and I, and um, we partnered with two schools down there, um, Horizon Middle School and Legacy High School. And um, the tour that we just did uh, was with Le- um, Horizon. Um, and we took 66th grade orchestra students on a two-day tour of, I think it was 11 elementary schools throughout the city wow. of Bismarck. And, so you know, it, it was a blast. It was crazy. It took me several days to recover. <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm sure Just, i can only yeah. imagine
2: that's a lot of middle schoolers. yeah yeah and longer than several and days, yeah. so. you
0: know that's 11 times to unpack the equipment set up the equipment play the show pack up the equipment get back in the car drive to the next spot mm-hmm. um so the, it it's exhausting on so many different levels um but um i thought one of the most rewarding things just from that tour was all of the smiles on the little sixth graders and the elementary kids all in the audience. Um, Just these big eyes and wow, I've never heard anything like that. Not even close, you know. Um, And getting their reactions off of my music and the uh, the technology that we brought the electric cello and um i used electric drums to create a um percussion uh unit for the for the performances and both of those um kids had a lot of fun trying them out in between um performances and yeah it, it was super rewarding um very fun to work with all of those people
2: so then just like to clarify so are have you been working with the schools teaching them to play music that you've written or um, um how did that yeah yeah maybe that's um, a stupid question but no <laughs> no it's all
0: right um so <laughs> So going back to last... There are no stupid questions in podcasts. (laughs) Oh, okay. Of course not. Uh, So going back to last fall when um, my concerto was premiered um, by the Minot Symphony Orchestra, um, that was the full version piece. Um, I think the running time was like 20 minutes or so. Okay. Um, And uh, even before then... we had started talking with these schools, um, and my dad had this idea of let's make, let's aim for this to be a super educational piece that can be rearranged for younger orchestra kids and get them exposed to using electric instruments, playing in some different styles, all of that. And so... um, those partnerships started forming even before the first premiere. And then all throughout this last winter I've been working on, okay, how do I make this 20 minute piece? That's kind of hard. Uh, cut it down for, uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers to play. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's been an incredibly difficult process that I went through. Um, but, uh eventually at the end, um, you know, I think with the cadenza in the middle of the high school version, I think that's going to be about 14 minutes long. And then the, the um, middle school version was about seven minutes long. Okay. So uh, if you can picture that, you know, I had to trim 13 minutes of music. That's and substantial. Yes, and substantially lower the difficulty level of some things and um, so there was a lot on my end to prepare the parts to show the kids just to even sight-read them, see what they can do, Um, and it went through several revisions uh, before we finally got to a a final product, Um, but uh, uh, thankfully we got some grant money from ARP uh, with with maca and um we're able to use that to fund some travel to our partner schools and we worked with them in january february march and april um before we did this tour mid mid april and then the um the high school premiere um is going to happen um next week may 9th
2: okay cool I bet it's got to be exciting to like almost be done with that project. And I'm sure you've learned a lot. Yeah. Is it something you want to do again?
0: I think so. Yeah. yeah. It, it um, it's pushed me a lot, um, in so many different ways and, uh, in ways I didn't expect. Um, but it's been really cool to, to finally get to the, the performances, a polished product that is going to sound awesome and uh um yeah i i know already there's some perspective uh, performances in the future for both the pro version and maybe some middle school and high school performances so very cool yeah that's awesome on these the high school and middle school
1: versions that you have mm-hmm. that you've been working with does that is that incorporating a high schooler or middle schooler to do the electric cello part?
0: So um, on all of these so far, um, my dad is playing the soloist part Mm -hmm. of electric cello. Um, But another part of the project that my dad from the beginning wanted to have included in it is that um, the, section leaders of, um, you know, violin one, two, viola, cello, and bass would all be electric instruments as well. Oh. And they oh. would get featured um, throughout the piece. And um, we, we figured out um, over some time that with the middle school version, we didn't want to mess with that. We didn't want to complicate things beyond just... The orchestra playing what i wrote there and um uh one of the issues that could come up from that would be uh you know you're taking the best player from every section and having them do a different part from uh from uh everyone else and right. that's that's not good for for middle school um but the high school version does have the electric quintet plus the electric cello soloist nice.
1: Yeah, I saw the premiere last fall. It's an amazing piece. It's incredibly complex. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be really curious to see some of these adapted versions to oh, see yeah. what the differences are.
2: What do you think um, these students might be getting out of it that maybe you didn't have an opportunity um, through your own, or maybe you did have the opportunity through your own music education at that age? What are you maybe hoping that they get out of it?
0: I hope that it's incredibly inspirational and that they can see through that that um the the sky is the limit for possibilities that they can take their music with and that um violins and cellos are relevant um and they they can adapt to new styles and, um, you know, new generations of thinking and, um, create some really cool art. Yeah. I love the exposure of something different because even for
1: adults, you know, mm. you think of classical music. Or the Minot Symphony Orchestra struggles with this on a regular basis, trying to convince people that, you know, go to a symphony concert. It's not, Boring classical music, like like people yeah, to have basic. this thing stuck in their head mm. of what a symphony is going to sound
0: like. Mm. Uh, it's not true. There are so many variations. No, oh, absolutely, so. and um, yeah, what what most people have in their head is not even really what most symphonies do. No, you know, they probably are thinking of some piano piece by Mozart, right? Which is not a symphony orchestra, right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: So, tell us about how your work in any of these pockets you exist in, or rolling planes that you exist in, because <laughs> you blend them. Yeah. Uh, tell us how Literally. your work uh, reflects on um, your upbringing in this community. Does mm. does your co- does the community come forward in some of the work that you do? Uh, I
0: think. It couldn't help but come out, um, but it um, community uh, may have various definitions, and um, I guess what probably most comes out in my music is the community of of peers that I um am inspired by um the community of musicians that i collaborate with um also you know the community of people who i listen to which could be nearby or they could be anywhere in the world really um and all of those things do inspire to to come into the music, um, I do think that uh, um, the know, community the, of trains, the that community yeah, train. the the, yes. the community, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, BNSF. You know, I think that community does come through, and um, you know, there are things about living where I have um, that have certainly inspired me.
2: I wonder uh, if you have any advice for um, either your younger self or somebody else who may be growing up in our community who has an interest in music. What advice you might give?
0: I'd say that the, uh, some of the essential things are to stay curious always. Um, explore new things um, play your instrument daily. Um, you have to there is no substitute for putting in the time um, and you can you can fake it pretty far, but eventually the there they will show that you. You've either put in the time or you haven't. Um, And an incredible amount of patience is required. Um, There is a less than 0.1% chance that you're just going to make it big all magically, all of a sudden, um, in any field um, of music. But... um, yeah, uh, just keep at it and keep m- building on it, um, expanding you know, your curiosity and your exploring new things. Keeping up to date on technology things, I think, is an important thing too. Um, you know, as much as it's kind of a pain to deal with social media, um, to make that professional and, you know, con- constantly feeding it, things, um, I, I know I struggle with that, but it it is somewhat important. Um, you, you, <laughs> you have to de- You have to decide what level of importance that business side of things takes but if you want to do what i do freelancing and um gigging and all that it's it's important Mm -hmm. and um and yeah building professional connections and keeping in touch with those people it's very likely that well in almost every case the people that you know are who are going to help you advance
2: really good advice
1: i love stay curious too. yeah yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah and i'm definitely going to have to make my
0: children listen to the pick up your instrument every day <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> make it fun somehow um e- if it doesn't feel fun then change it up a little bit um with the taking that with a grain of salt that especially early on with your instruments there's going to be a lot of grunt work mm-hmm. You know, it's like picking weeds in a garden. Got to do it. You got to pick those rocks. You got to play those scales so that you can get around the horn. Yeah. No way around that. It's a good analogy.
2: Yeah, it really mm. is. Yeah.
1: Your, your family, you've, you've brought them up a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard not to coming from a family like yours that is just so inundated. And I, I I love the fact that your family is so supportive of, of one another. I was sitting behind you at the symphony concert and when, uh, when Ellen said your mom's name, you and your brother Kellen just hooted and hollered and just screamed for that. And I see, I see your parents at things that you're doing as well. Even some of the, some of the smaller stuff that you've come and done solo work that, They're there right there to support you. Um, And I think that's great. And I think Mm -hmm. you can definitely tell that that nurture side of things has really influenced your growth uh, as a musician outside of your family. Mm -hmm. Are there any collaborations that you've worked on that you want to tell us about things that you've put together other than the concerto Mm -hmm. um, and some of the work with the schools, but other things Mm -hmm. that you've done?
0: Well, um, we were talking before we started about uh, how I've uh, worked with Jonah Lanto Mm -hmm. of the good talk. And um, I've done, um theme music for a couple of his shows now. Um there's Midwest Murder, um, and then Midwest Memories, which they just mm, started sure. last winter. Um and it's it's more of like a private recording for families of recording memoirs and whatnot. Yeah. But uh yeah, I I was very happy with how both of those went, um writing the music that would be a theme for those shows um i I enjoy every collaboration I get to to do um when I get to perform like solo gigs um you know most of those I do um with backing tracks, playing jazz style, and i I greatly appreciate every um, opportunity I get to share that music with, um, with people and, and I meet new um, contacts, professional contacts through that. Um, You know, people who somehow or another get my name and need a person for a cocktail hour for Mm. some fundraiser. And uh, you know, that, it's it's great, and if I do a good job and I am um, very professional and uh, work well with with the coordinator, then it might happen that I get the call next year. Right. That same one, right? So,
2: well, it sounds like those events sound like they should be like so much fun too, because you're getting to just you know be in the room of all kinds of different types of events and different types of people. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you meet just all kinds of yeah new people every time so yeah. that's got to be really cool
0: it it is and there's there's a fun like variation in um well it's very l- free um most of the time those kind of events like um yes everyone's hearing what I'm doing but are they uh paying attention very much um, only, you know, a, a certain percentage, um, at any given time. And, um, so I'm just kind of doing what I want and, um, you know, at the end, hope they liked it, but whether they did or not, I did it. And, uh,
2: you can I, definitely tell, cause I've been obviously to a couple of the events where you're playing, you right. can definitely tell you're having a good time, you know? And I think that that probably like makes all the difference that, you know, you're not just... Like playing a song the same way that everybody's always heard it, like you can tell that mm. you know you're enjoying yourself, and and that adds to the event significantly. So yeah, and absolutely. people
1: absolutely notice. I oh know, yeah, I, I know mm-hmm. that they do. We, I mean, we've mm-hmm. heard the comments on uh, for the for the events that we've had you perform mm-hmm. solo at. You know, yeah. There's always a lot of compliments on the music.
3: So. Mm-hmm.
2: But it is fun that um, the nature of those events like allows you to feel that like mm-hmm. freeform. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. like who cares if somebody's listening right now? Like I'm gonna do mm-hmm. this and. S- you know, can have a little fun. And yeah. So right,
0: that's yeah. cool. Yeah. It's very similar in in um, some of the events that we, the Sweet Dreams plays at too. You know, um, like we play at Ebenezer's and people are getting their drinks and their food. And there's no way that they're not hearing us because we have the night moose. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, whether they are, um, actively listening whether they are um, you know going to do any kind of acknowledgement with body language or or you know applause it it doesn't always happen um, or we don't always perceive it but um, you know we are we we can tell that we're appreciated there
2: yeah I think that's that's a good thing to consider and that could even be considered good advice for Anybody who does anything of a performative nature, right? Mm. Which is like not to hold your perception of the audience's mm. perception of you at too high of a standard that you're not having a good time or that you're not doing what feels right to you yeah. in that moment. Yeah. So. Well, and it's tough
1: when you're doing any kind of live performance, music theater or otherwise, um, audience's vary every single time you do it and you can't come to rely on a specific audience reaction in order Mm -hmm. to do what you have to do you still have to do what you're doing no matter what you get out of them and especially the ones Mm -hmm. that are most unreceptive Mm, the the least receptive (laughs) or at least they're not showing you anything or they're not giving you anything back it it, it can be so hard to continue Mm -hmm. a performance doing that But, but you have to
0: yeah no i i resonate with that a lot um and you know it's it can be one of the greatest challenges in those situations where it might be a very slow night at ebbs um or it might be that oh it's easter weekend there's nobody around so you know there's just gonna be 10 people out there and (laughs) you might not be able to perceive much appreciation but they're there um and you have to in both that situation and A absolute packed house You have to be delivering So trying to to make that balance And I mean It's absolutely true that Musically Like the energy That I put off Does Get influenced by the energy Coming from the crowd And and it goes back and forth I mean um, I'm sure with theater You you know exactly Mm -hmm. what I mean And um, you know it's just Uh, night and day difference the feeling um so one of the greatest challenges is to uh no matter what i'm feeling to still be able to harness some energy to put out that can maybe help turn the tides Mm -hmm. if it's if it's a slow night or something
2: yeah that makes sense
0: i remember one night um this
1: was about five years ago. So I hadn't even run one of our own, one of Macca's summer concert series yet. Um, so I wasn't involved. Like, Macca was not involved in this particular performance, but there was a, a, a popular bar band in Minot that played at the Minot Public Library. Um, they had an event there and invited the band to play. And it was like, hey, this is cool. We're going to go see this band. And, you know, they're in the library and it's neat. And I was talking to them after the performance. And the, the band themselves, they were so excited because – they felt like that was the first time they had played for an audience that they knew was paying attention to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Because it, because it wasn't the bar. It wasn't, you know, a loud crowded bar of people that are talking and. And I can mm -hmm. imagine,
2: especially in the Midwest too, because we've, and we've heard this a couple of times with Mm -hmm. like different people we've had come and perform lately mm-hmm. is you know like midwestern crowds are just not as like loud or like re- it's not right, that they're yeah. not receptive but mm-hmm. they're not as responsive just culturally oh, absolutely um,
0: this is this is not new orleans yeah right you know, i mean right i give, <laughs> I give all, no and all right. of you performers
2: right. so much kudos cuz i couldn't do it i'd be yeah. like mortified but um yeah it's like people appreciate what you're doing and are watching and listening but you can't tell by looking at them yeah audience
1: yeah. etiquette is funny when you you have somebody in audience in an audience that i mean for some things obviously you want you know hush you want quiet and do your whatever um but people get so so annoyed um depending on where they're at, if mm-hmm. there's somebody that has any kind of reaction. Yeah. And in theater, and, I mean, we, th- we see it as, like, if anybody, like, we I, I was at a play recently that was a mystery, and there were people in the audience that were like, oh, don't go there! I mean, they were they were shouting out <laughs> things. It's, like, it's so bizarre with a Midwest yeah. crowd to, uh, to hear something like that. Yeah, but, funny. you know, audience etiquette has morphed over over to Shakespeare, in, Shakespeare, in, in Elizabethan... England when Shakespeare's plays were originally performed do you know what the audience was doing they were not paying attention to what was going on on stage. They were paying attention to each other. There were prostitutes in the balcony. There were like a lot of drunken brawls. I oh, mean, yeah. it was a madhouse. And you know, you don't—that's not going to happen in right. performances today. Not in today. My, today. Right. <laughs> not, not, not yeah. my you hope not. Yeah, but like you've you've performed for us both in the park and downtown, and even that—that's a different crowd because the park it is a sit-down, pay attention. Attention to the music mm-hmm. crowd downtown is a come for the atmosphere. Yeah, listen to the music and go about. There's doing food things. trucks and yeah. vendors
0: and distractions. Right. Yeah. Right. Good distractions. Yeah. Uh, it's everybody wins, but but yeah, it's the there's less uh, energy is diverted from the stage. Do you have a preferred audience? Some nights I really enjoy a big crowd with one of my groups, um, full band, um, where we're playing and, and there's a, a big energetic crowd that's just offering a lot of energy. Um, and, uh, you know, just they're, they're making us feel good about, about doing our job. Um, so that's one of my favorites, another very different type of crowd is is like a very small venue um like uh an intimate venue where everyone is there to see the performance and it can have some kind of like a um, i don't know special party atmosphere almost um, my my parents host uh, all the time some uh after parties for symphonies or um, operas um, or even they just do recitals there um, in their living room and um, experiencing like that level of intimacy of like you know it's a it's a spacious living room but it's only a living room and you know um, limited seating but everybody's there to see this small performance that's going to happen Um the level of appreciation and the conversations that happen afterwards, um and all of that is very treasured to me. So
1: intimate and attentive and large and energetic and possibly loud Mm -hmm. and just everything. I love I love that they have their they each have their oppositional Yeah. yeah, There. Like the
2: depth of the like more like that more intimate experience that has that potential for depth of conversation versus the like high energy, like raucous.
0: Like, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. They yeah. couldn't be more different, no. but no. they yeah. offer like almost the same feeling um, to me on yeah. stage.
1: Well, and you can get a, a quiet odd, a quiet audience is not necessarily unenergetic. Mm-hmm. No, you can f- a good quiet audience that is giving off energy can be
0: felt. Yes, I do agree. Audiences play a very big part in the music. And, um, I think, you know, there's, there's the performer, there's the audience, and then, um, there's the art itself, you know, being performed. Um, and all three of those have their own contributing factors mm-hmm. um and it can be so very um, improvisational and sporadic um it can be very just it can change night to night what happens um we all know this um but but it it's very magical in the ways that it can work. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that about it. The beauty
1: of live performance.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So just under a month after this uh, episode gets released, Miles Barkholm and the Sweet Dreams will be joining us downtown. Oh yeah. On uh, at Thursday's downtown. So um, if you're listening to this prior to July twentieth, uh, come be an ed- energetic audience member for, for one of one of Eric's groups. Mm-hmm. Um, other than obviously Thursday's Downtown being the biggest excitement, do you have any other exciting <laughs> projects coming up
0: that you want to talk about? I mentioned uh, May 9th. Um, I've got premiere of my high school version of my cello concerto um, at Legacy High School in Bismarck. I I also mentioned this mush, mushroom song cycle that I've been working on, and um, that I I've got three songs that have um that have been more or less completed, and I've been working on with my mother and uh, brother, and uh, my goal is to possibly buy his birthday in early October, have that project completed and um, send him a bound score version of it where it's Does already. Does he know this is happening? He doesn't know that, that that's going to happen at his birthday, no. He uh, okay. he knows. So we have to take that okay. out yeah. then. We've, yeah. well, he well, can't he, ruin the surprise. You, you, you can't yeah. let him listen to this episode no. then, obviously.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: uh, secret's out. I guess Um, well yeah he he knows about the project and um, last year uh, October 5th is when I sent him um, a version of the first song Um, so they've been kind of a slow genesis to to create um, uh, to develop Um, plus it's not like I've had uh, a big concerto to work on right. uh, or you I mean, know that's playing gigs all the time and you know
1: none of that takes
0: up Yeah, it so it, it it got kind of shelved for a time um but it's it's definitely I'm focusing on that a lot more now and um very excited for when that can be completed um I I guess the only other thing I'm thinking of is that uh, sometime in the fall I'm planning to do a, a voice recital. Where can Stay people tuned.
2: find your music and listen to your music? And
0: Well, um, I do have a website. It's uh, ericmichaelanderson.com. That's E-R-I-K-M-Y-C-H-A-L-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. So the Anderson is like normal. Yeah, the Anderson <laughs> is like normal, but... But you know, spell the first two names correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do have a lot of stuff posted on there. Um, I also have a YouTube account. I have um, a few things from the Brothers and the Sweet Dreams on Spotify and some other streaming services. Um, I I have an Instagram and a Facebook. So... Between all those things, uh, people could find a lot about me. If you could make
1: just one arts-related recommendation to someone who is either visiting our community or new to our community, what would that recommendation be?
0: I'd say do some research on my area council. The arts website would be a great spot or social media there are lots of places to find what is going on in the community. There's symphonies, there's operas, there's plays, there's live music at a lot of bars. There's, there's a lot of stuff if you look for it. If you don't, you can easily fall into that trap of, there's nothing going on around here. <laughs> and it's complete BS. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Do just the tiniest amount of digging and you'll find something.
3: Dig. Dig. Dig, Dig.
0: Dig it. There we go. Dig it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the Mind Art Arts
1: Podcast, a map to the arts in small town America with your hosts, Justin. And Shandell. And our guest today, multifaceted musician and composer and creator, Eric Michael Anderson. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening.
2: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our antics today and would like to hear more from us, we'd greatly appreciate you leaving a review or subscribing via whatever platform it is that you're listening to podcasts on. The Minot Arts Podcast is hosted by Justin Anderson and Shandell Latin, is presented as a program of the Minot Area Council of the Arts in Minot, North Dakota, and is produced by Brandon Tronson of More Than Music. This project is supported in part by Grant from the North Dakota Council on the Arts, which receives funding from the state legislature and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you again for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us or any of our programming, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram or online at MinotArts.org.